First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't generate amusing holiday cards, but it will personalize career paths for your people and let you know which suppliers are best so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real world results. That's SAP Business AI. So when I got into the space, you know, I probably should have been a little more, you know, cautious or a little more nervous, but I just thought this was a really interesting opportunity that there was no professional PR firms that were covering this new industry. You didn't see like the big, and they're still not working in them today. And I thought I could bring this like professionalism that I'd come from big agency to this brand new industry because I'd seen a lot of parallels um, from some of the industries that I worked in before that I was seeing mirrored in cannabis. So, you know, in the beginning, it was actually more of an opportunity than anything else because this was a brand new industry. You know, media is always looking for like new topics and what could be new than an actual brand new industry. So I just felt there was, was an opportunity to bring my mainstream background to this, you know, burgeoning space. You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Legorio Chafkin. today's episode. Just say yes. Sometimes an opportunity arises and you just can't say no. Maybe it's something that just intrigues you or entertains you or is so out of left field that you just can't say no out of sheer curiosity. For our guest today, that opportunity was a cannabis cookbook. Yes, baking with marijuana. And it was a little out of left field for Rosie Matteo. She was a seasoned publicist who'd been a stay-at-home mom of four young daughters for years. But that's what she did. And then more and more cannabis companies came calling. Now, with almost 50 employees and more than 2,000% growth over the past three years, she's been running one of the fastest-growing marketing firms in the United States. Matteo Communications ranked number 190 on the 2021 Inc. 5000. But before that crazy opportunity that turned Rosie into the cannabis queen, she had a pretty steady career in New York PR agencies. I started my career early on. I'm at some big agencies. I worked at, like I said, Rubenstein, Allison Broad. And then I had my own consulting agency um, from 2004. And then I got married and 2009 had, my, sorry, four children. So I never remember like when I had them. Um, <laughs> 2009, I had my first daughter. 2010, I had my second daughter. 2012, I had my fourth daughter, third daughter. And 2014, I had my fourth daughter. So um, at some point throughout those uh, having four kids in six years, I did take a break from uh, from work and I was and I was home and really I said like I, I lived in the basement really for two years or three years of it and really was a full time mom. And then at some point, um, my husband actually had a startup uh, when I had my third child. And I went to work for him because when you have a startup, there's all hands on deck. We couldn't afford a PR firm. And um, he brought me in to be like, you know, a sharpshooter PR person for him. And I didn't expect to go back to work full time. But after, you know, and I loved being a mother and I was a very doting mother and very involved in living in that basement. When I started <laughs> to get back to work uh, for him, I realized, wow, like, I really always did have a passion for having a career. I, I was his publicist for a couple of years. And then, you know, as most startups happen, 
it failed, but um, I still had that fire within me that I wanted to work. So um, yeah. I had my fourth child and we had just moved out to Seattle, Washington. And I was approached to do a project for a cookbook, a crowdfunding campaign for a cookbook. And it was a cannabis cookbook and it was my first cannabis project. So I had four children getting back to work, but you know, feet first into the cannabis industry with this project. Yeah. Did did the industry uh, turn you off at all at first? I mean, it was sort of new and sort of burgeoning at the time, right? It was very new in 2014. We just moved out to Seattle, Washington for my husband's job. I had these four babies. Um, some of them had, was start, were starting kindergarten and grade school at that point. So I was driving them to school about 20 minutes from my house. And I would pass by these cannabis dispensaries. And I would see people waiting online at eight in the morning when I dropped my kids off for school for them to open. I'd go to some parties, you know, we were new to the community, meeting people and people had vape pens. So I started seeing cannabis as like part of culture, but living in New York and having all these children and, you know, cannabis had not been part of my life since college. So I started seeing cannabis everywhere. And then I was approached to do this campaign for this cookbook. And it was really cool. And all of these uh, mainstream media outlets that I worked with because I had done food PR. That was my specialty started. Um, that's who I was pitching. So I pitched in New York times at fast company and mashable and Inc. And all of them are clamoring for the story about this new cannabis cookbook, but it was still so new, but I thought it was really cool. So I got all these placements for this first new project. And I started posting them on Facebook being like, look at my cool new company that I'm representing. And my husband and my parents like, Rosie, what are you doing? <laughs> Your mother for children, you're posting about weed. Like what is happening right now? I think they thought I was like having some sort of midlife crisis. But I was like, guys, like open your eyes. What's happening? Look at this mainstream media wanting to cover cannabis. Look around us. We're seeing moms and people that we know smoking weed, right? So it was very new. There was nobody doing it at the time. And I think people thought I was a little crazy. Maybe I was, but. I was excited. And that was the big beginning of something that, you know, is bigger than I ever could have thought it would have been. Yeah. And and so you you sort of spotted this growth industry that that also was having a, it was having a lot of trouble growing on its own. Right. Um, it, it was having trouble getting getting banking, um, getting, uh, you know, just very crossing state lines. Right. I mean, anything that requires so much regulation and is is so new, um, you know, is a challenge at first. So uh, was it? Did you have any hesitance um, on your own part stepping into that industry and and saying, uh, you know, I can represent you, I can do your publicity? So when I got into the space, you know, I probably should have been a little more, you know, cautious or a little more nervous. But I just thought this was a really interesting opportunity that there was no professional PR firms that were covering this new industry. You didn't see like the big, and they're still not working in them today. And I thought I could bring this like professionalism that I'd come from big agency to this brand new industry, because I'd seen a lot of parallels um, from some of the industries that I worked in before that I was seeing mirrored in cannabis. So, you know, in the beginning, it was actually more of an opportunity than anything else because this was a brand new industry. You know, media is always looking for like new topics and what could be new than an actual brand new industry. So I just felt there was, was an opportunity to bring my mainstream background to this, you know, burgeoning space. And yes, there were a lot of challenges because how do you get, you know, a national publication to write about an industry that is still fragmented and highly regional, but, you know, it was so brand new and there were so many interesting entrepreneurs and stories that I felt I could use my 
background to bring it to the forefront. Yeah, I have to say, Rosie, on the being on the other side of the equation, working in the, in the mainstream media, I have to say my inbox these days is like half cannabis. I mean, like it is so many companies for the last few years. It's just been growing and growing and growing so much. Um, tell me about that about that growth. What happened after 2014 for you? Yeah, so I'll take a step back. So I took on this the Shore project. Um, it's called the Stoner's Cookbook. It's now called Herb. And we did this crowdfunding campaign and New York Times and Inc. and Fast Company, Mashable, all wrote about the story. And this little light bulb went off in my head. I said, hmm, this is really cool. Like, let's see what's there. So I, like I said, I just moved to Seattle, Washington. And I started going to these cannabis tech meetups. My background had been in tech. And they had these cannabis tech meetups because it was Seattle, Washington, a big tech community. So I started going to these um, meetups and I went by myself. I had a four month old baby at home. And I really, I sat by myself at some of these um, events because I didn't know anybody. And I drank the cheap uh, uh, wine at the bar and I just listened into all these speakers. And, you know, a few times I went, I said, you know, maybe I want to start you know, dabbling a little bit more. And I decided to sponsor one of the events to sort of get my name out there. But I was still very nervous. I don't like public speaking even today, even though I train, you know, hundreds of CEOs how to public speak really wasn't my thing. I didn't know that much about the industry. I was in a fact finding stage. So I had sponsored it and with the sponsorship came a speaking role and I didn't want to do it. So uh, one of the organizers said, let me introduce you to this guy. His name is Cy Scott. He just sold his first cannabis tech startup to like a big um, private equity firm. And he has a new startup and I bet he'd love to talk about it. So I punted the, the, the speaking engagement. I gave it to this guy, Cy Scott, and he got up there and started talking about data analytics and cannabis. And actually one of my other clients that was non-cannabis was a data company for healthcare. So like when he was talking and I was hearing the way he was talking about data, it was very similar to what I was working on with this um, data analytics company for healthcare. So afterwards, you know, he gave this talk and he was incredible and we started chatting and he goes, you know, we're looking for a publicist. So the next day I went and I met him at their office boat. They literally had an office on like a boat, a houseboat in Seattle, Washington, Harbor, <laughs> which we, we joke about today because now they have like 70 people in these gorgeous offices in downtown Seattle. But we met and they became my first agency record client. And I say the rest is history after that, because I started traveling with those guys and started going to all these like cannabis events. Now there are these, you know, 50 to 75,000 people trade shows. They were like hundred people in the basement of the Rio hotel in, in Las Vegas. But I started networking, which now I look back and I can't believe I had this like six month old and I was getting on the planes, but like, I just felt in my gut, this was what I needed to do. And I started meeting people and networking and just everything came through referrals. People knew I worked with size, so they referred me to another client and another client. And then, you know, 2018, I was still by myself, but I had 12, you know, retainer clients and we were starting to get a name for ourselves. Um, and that's where like the real, you know, growth came and the scaling came. And now we're at this agency of um, 44 people and 60 cannabis companies. Wow. Yeah. So I should mention that your communications firm was number 190 on the Inc. 5000 this year, um, one of the fastest growing marketing firms in the country. So congratulations on that. Obviously, you've had a, a lot of growth, more than you know 2,000% over the past three years. So with that growth, I imagine comes a lot of learning, a lot of scaling, a lot of hiring. How did you hire your first employees and how did that go? So you know, I'll, I'll, I'll harken back to that story about my husband saying, you know, what if one day you had all these people working for you? And I said to him, 
well, I don't know how to scale a business. Like, I don't know how to grow a business. All I know how to do is be a publicist. So I knew that there was a lot I did not know. Um, and at the same time, when I was going through this, you know, explosive growth by myself and realizing that I was juggling too many balls and this wasn't sustainable and I couldn't scale alone. The CEO of that healthcare data company I was telling you about, um, his daughter actually came to help me as an intern that summer. And she said to her dad, be like, dad, do you know what Rosie's doing? She's doing this like cannabis PR firm. And so he called me up. He said, you know, Rebecca told me what you're working on. We should meet. And at the same conversation I had with my husband, my now partner, Mitch, and I had together, he was also, by the way, on the Inc. 500 many times, helped secure that. So this is sort of like a full circle moment for me. <laughs> I spent seven years pitching clients and now we are on the Inc. 500. So that's another story. But I met up with him and he said to me, Rosie, you know, what are you doing? You, I, I hear about this, this thing that's happening in cannabis. You seem to have something going here. What are you doing with this? And I said to him the same thing I said to my husband. I don't know how to grow a business. I don't know how to scale a business. All I know how to do is be a publicist. And he goes, but I do. At that point, he had just sold his company to WebMD and he had some free time on his hand. And he's a serial entrepreneur who's built many successful businesses. So he joined me in October of 2018 as my business partner. We made our first hire, which he helps. He does all the infrastructure so I can do what I do best. Um, and he helped hire our first employee in November of 2018. And then over the past three years, we have steadily and methodically added to our team. Um, at that, like I said, we had 12 clients then. I think probably in January 2019, I came back from a big canvas conference called MJ BizCon with like five new clients in my pocket. And then we had to hire another person, another person. And over the past three years, we've scaled, like I said, to be, I think today, um, we are 46 people and 60 cannabis companies. So hiring was definitely a big challenge for me because for doing this for so many years by myself, you've sort of become like a control freak. You know, I like things done my way. I know how I do things and I have like a method to my madness and relinquishing control was like a very big challenge for me because not being able to, see, you know, when you have 15 clients, you know, you can sort of see what's going on, but when you have 60 clients and you can't really look at every single email that goes out the door, which would be my preference if I could, right? Yeah. So hiring, we hire very slow. A lot of people have to interview people before even gets to my desk because like we are our people, our currency is our talent within the agency. So I feel very fortunate that, um, We've, we've hired so well. I think we've, we've only had one person leave uh, and she went to go to graduate school and we've only had to, you know, let go of one person in the past three years. So I feel like we got a really good track record and hiring has been, you know, the secret to our success because the team is everything. That's great. And is the team distributed um, or, or are you, you know, ideally in an office, if not over the past year and a half? Yeah. So we're actually have three offices now, which is wild for me to think about. So we've got our headquarters in New York City where I am based. We actually just moved to bigger offices. You know, we're in this pandemic pandemic. And at some point we thought we're not going to go back to an office. You've been able to, you know, over the past year, we've had explosive growth, even though we've been, you know, all, all over the country. Uh, but we did a back to work day in our old offices, uh, uptown in June. And instead of not renewing our lease, we actually decided to uh, renew a bigger lease. So we got uh, we have big offices downtown. Um, so we've got 26 people in New York, uh, 15 people in LA and the rest in Toronto. So we have three offices, New York, LA and Toronto, which is pretty exciting. Oh, that's great. So you're actually international. 
We are because, you know, we represent a lot of public cannabis companies and mm. most of them are listed. Um, if, if any of your listeners uh, know about the cannabis regulations, most of the public companies cannot list in the U.S. So they're listed in, in Canada on the CSC. So our uh, investor relations department is up in um, in Toronto. And I should mention, so we started as a PR firm, but now we actually are our full service marketing communications firm. We have eight different services. So it started with just me alone doing media relations. And now we have an investor investor relations department that covers our public companies. We do social media. Um, we do influencer relations, content, SEO, all the way across the supply chain. So it's not only been like personal uh, growth and business growth, but we actually have functional expert growth in the industry, which has been great. So at what point did you decide to really go deep on the cannabis industry rather than, you know, just be another PR firm? Do, you know, represent tech or represent any other companies that, that come your way? When, when did you decide that the cannabis was your niche and that you were going to broaden within that? Yeah. So um, I just had a fire in my belly when I started working cannabis that I'd never had before. And truthfully, we did maintain and we do maintain one or one or two um, non-cannabis clients for one specific reason. Because the reason we've grown so rapidly, we've been able to scale is because while yes, we are deeply rooted in cannabis, we've taken this mainstream approach. So we do keep one or two non-cannabis clients just so we keep our fingers on the pulse of what's happening in popular culture, technology, uh, lifestyle. So we do keep one or two just so we just keep our roots there. But really our, our core capability is in cannabis. And the reason we decided to go so deep is because there were so few people who were experts, right? And when you're in this industry, like in 2018, I've been in the industry for four years, right? And there's so many nuances in cannabis. Like there's every state has a different regulation as relates to marketing. Like in Florida, we need to have every ad campaign looked at by the Department of Health. So we really got to understand the nuances of the cannabis space. And we just doubled down on learning everything we could about every single state and every single regulation and became real experts. And we just became sought after, right? And we developed this enormous network within the space where we, we just couldn't, you know, pass up this opportunity to establish ourselves as the preeminent uh, marketing agencies. It really was by design that we just really went deep. And because we had been working in this industry for so long, and when we started with many of our clients, like when I talk about headset, they were three people or four people and they've grown, we've grown along with them. So as they've grown and they've needed more services, they had options. They could either go to like an SEO agency or they can go to a social media agency. But because we've been building this industry together, they trusted us to build it for them. So for example, headsettlers use them as the example. They needed um, content services. They wanted to build out their blog. So they said, Rosie, can you guys do that? And I guess I do have this entrepreneurial spirit. I could have said no, but I said, of course we can. And we built it. So we hired like a functional expert for that. And the same thing in investor relations. We started a lot of these companies as startups and we grew with them. And some of them decided to access the public markets, you know, to raise funds. So they said, who can you recommend for an investor relations firm? And I said, oh, we can do it, right? So a lot of this is building the plane while flying it. But because we have this like longstanding deep partnerships with so many of our clients, they trusted us, right? We built a lot of trust because we've been with them for so long that they trusted us to build it for them. And we did. And I'm very proud to say that most, actually all of our functional, you know, um, expertise like investor relations and social media, they're all profitable parts of our business now and booming parts of our business. So yes, like, you know, like I said, building a plane while flying it, but you know, I, I'm a really hard worker and, and excellence is just so important to me that I, I was never going to let my clients down. So we hired the 
best of the best to lead these different expertise functions in the agency. And now they're a big part of our business. So, you know, that's sort of, you know, how how we've gotten to be this full service marketing agency. Yeah, I love that. I love that building the plane while flying it. Is that something um, is, that's instinctual for you? Um, or was that was that a learned behavior? Um, how do you come to be comfortable with just taking that that leap and say, yeah, oh, yeah, we'll get into investor relations. No problem. When, when really you've never done that before. You know, you have to hire someone, you know, you have to do a lot of growing yourself in order to really fill that promise um, to I think it's it's something really unique to just take that take that dive? I think it's a personality thing. And, and you know, if from Inc., you know, uh, entrepreneurs, and I'm learning because I'm speaking to so many now, because I think part of like the growth of entrepreneurs talking to a lot of them is that there's a little bit of crazy in you, right? So I think there's a little bit of crazy in me where like, I really like to take on challenges, like personally and professionally. So even personally, like last year, I decided I wanted to do bodybuilding competition. So I trained for bodybuilding competition and I won the bodybuilding competition. So like, I really like doing hard things and achieving a little bit of a perfectionist. So when faced with something, somebody asked me to do something, my first instinct is just to say yes and then figure it out. And like, that's really guided me throughout this entrepreneurial journey. Just say yes. And then we figure it out. And like, I, I'm, I, I never, I don't want to fail. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this fear of failure and I'm no different than many of them. So I will always find a way to get it done. When we come back, I'll talk with Rosie about how she navigated growing her company in an industry amidst lots of regulatory scrutiny. But first, a quick break. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Was there a, a time that you said yes and you shouldn't have? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so many times. Like, you know, not everything, you know, in entrepreneurship is smooth sailing. You know, we uh, early on, as we're building out actually some of these functional expertise, you know, thought, well, maybe we should like acquire a smaller agency um, and make them our social media agency, right? Or maybe we should do with an influencer agency. And, you know, we said yes to some deals that did not end up well for us, but we learned from that, right? So I said yes to a couple of deals that I wish I hadn't, but then I learned that, you know what? I don't want to buy it. I want to build it. So I, I try to, you know, learn from every mistake we've made. And also I said yes early on to some clients I probably should not have said yes to, right? They seemed great on paper, but this is a new industry. And there are a few clients that took on early that sounded good on paper. And then when I went to pitch them to some media, they're like, do you even know who that CEO is? Like he's got X, Y, and Z background. I was like, yikes, right? So sometimes when you're running so fast and you're saying yes, sometimes you have to take a second to slow down, especially in an industry and really understand, you know, what you're getting into um, and who you're doing business with. Because for me, my entire business has been built on the team and our reputation. So 
anything that could put my reputation at risk um, is just too big of a risk. So some, early on, I said yes to clients I probably shouldn't have. And now I have learned my lesson and we do a lot of diligence before saying yes to taking on a client. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. You said earlier um, that there were so, some parallels between what you had formerly been practicing in PR and this new industry. Um, and, and certainly there are benefits in representing a new industry, a growth industry. Um, you said that publications often want to write about things that are new. And of course, that's true. But also, and I know firsthand, reporters and editors are often skeptical of certain things that that are new, right? If no one's written about a company before, if no one has vetted an industry before, how do you, from, from the publicity side, how do you convince someone that something is worth covering and worth their time and and is reliable? Give us some secrets and tricks there. So um, I'll, I'll give a few tips. So one of them is obviously what I was saying that I took some parallels from some of the industries I'd worked in. So I'd done a lot of work in data, right? And using data to tell a story, right? So when I worked for this doctor review site, we used um, like data from, um, from patients and the reviews of their doctors to sort of put together pitches around like what an archetype for a doctor would be, right? We did some great infographics around like what people are looking for in a doctor, right? So when I got into the cannabis base, we started looking, I said, you know, why don't we start using data to try to tell these stories? Because reporters like don't know what to trust, but if we can really pull data about the growth of a segment, maybe we can tell a story about a new segment. So I'll use beverages. I'll use, that's even now, right? So beverages are very, very hot space in cannabis right now. So I can go to a reporter and say, hey, this is amazing new beverage. Try it. If they can try it in a legal state, obviously, that's another challenge that we have, which we can talk about later. But I can say this is like the best new beverage, but like, so what? But if I can use some data from POS systems or a data analytics company or a a loyalty platform to say, hey, beverages is a growing part of this industry. Maybe you should do a roundup about beverages that's a story, right? So I always led the data, like from day one and today, like going to a reporter and being like, this is the best company, you're going to say, who cares? But if I can use some data to back it up, that's always a, a big tip for me. And also it goes back to vetting clients, right? So we're now in a point, and even early on, I was lucky to align myself with some great early entrepreneurs who had great track records, right? So um, if you are able to you know, align yourself with a CEO who had a great track record working at a big CPG company or at a data company or at a retailer, right? And really leaning into their former experience and how they're bringing this into this new industry, that has seemed to work really well over the past few years. And also because there's so many, I'm very lucky because there are so many new regulations and new states coming online that were able to really tell new stories, you know, month after month. So there is uh, still that newness in the industry that we capitalize on. Right. That's so interesting. So the legal issues are are both a challenge for you and and a potential plot line. <laughs> yes, correct. And I'll talk a little about those challenges. So yeah, please. Um, so we we represent a lot of, you know, um, brands, right? So when I worked in, in food PR, when I wanted Shape Magazine to write a story about this healthy new popcorn, what would I do? I'd make a beautiful package and I'd send the popcorn out to the shape editor and she would try it and hopefully or he would write the story and that was great. How am I supposed to get a reporter that's based in New York City to talk about a beautiful chocolate bar that is only available in Illinois or in uh, California, 
Like I can't ship it. It's illegal to ship cannabis products over state lines. And, you know, good reporters, they want to try a product. They want to vouch for it. They're just not going to write it because I asked them to. So that is a, a problem that um, that we have. And, you know, the way we've solved it, which is like creative, I think, and what set us apart and how we've got some really great deep relationships with many of the lifestyle reporters is we became known for doing these incredible press trips. So we would, um, you know, have reporters fly out to Los Angeles. We take them to tours of cannabis grows and dispensaries so they could try the products. There was a conference down in Palm Springs in 2019 called Females to the Front that was about female entrepreneurship and cannabis. So we brought out a lot of reporters to that event so they could meet the female entrepreneurs and try the products in a legal market. And those turned into, you know, many stories for years to come. So we've had to be really creative. And sometimes we just have to send packaging because sometimes, you know, a reporter can't take a trip or it, there's a lot of challenges when you're dealing in a highly regulated industry, but we found um, a few ways to really uh, get creative in getting coverage for our clients when it's not fully national right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, it's so interesting that it's so local um, in terms of the markets. Uh, it's almost like the dairy industry or something. Um, but h- how did business change over the past year and a half? Um, what effect did the pandemic have? You know, so the pandemic, you know, I feel very fortunate that cannabis was deemed essential early on in the pandemic. So when, you know, your dry cleaner was closed or you couldn't go sit in a restaurant, cannabis was essential, just like any, like a pharmacy or grocery store, because for many people, it's medicine and, you know, people are using it to cope with stress and anxiety, the pandemic. So cannabis really has had a heyday over the past 18 months, which has been huge for our business. You know, the first few weeks of the pandemic, you know, what's the first thing that goes? Marketing, right? When people are trying to cut budgets. But, you know, the strong companies understood that now was a time for them to capitalize on this on this moment in time where cannabis for the first time ever was deemed an essential product or service. So we've had explosive growth. And also we, we hired throughout this pandemic 25 people, right? So our agency you know, doubled in size um, over the pandemic. And that's due to the fact that, you know, people are, are using cannabis as part of their daily lives to cope with the pandemic. Like I said, people are stressed out. They can't sleep. You know, they're home watching Netflix, right? Because they couldn't leave their house for months at a time. So it, it's been big for our business, but it's also been interesting that there are people on our team that I haven't met. I haven't met our directors of investor relations. I talk to him more than I talk to my husband on some days, right? And <laughs> I haven't even met him in person, but but I, this is the amazing thing about technology, obviously, that I feel so close to some of these people I've never met because, you know, we're all building this agency together. Um, every one of our employees has equity in the business. So there's really this um, team mentality of building something you know bigger than ourselves. So I feel fortunate that we've been able to forge this uh, strong bond throughout the agency um, and, and have had tremendous growth over the past year. And I feel very, very fortunate um, to be able to hire people, you know, in, a, in an era where a lot of people, you know, are without jobs. So I feel very fortunate to be in that position right now, too. Yeah. Rosie, can you share any tips or ideas for how to build those strong bonds and how to maintain these good communications and, you know, have that shared sense of building something bigger than yourself? I feel like so many companies, I mean, we're so deep in it now, but so many companies are still suffering from Zoom fatigue and so many workers are getting burnt out and don't feel that kind of motivation. Um, As some offices go back, some are staying completely virtual for the long haul. Like how, as, as a communications professional, let me ask you, like, what would you give for advice for folks who are trying to manage this? 
Yes, we heavily invest in the team, right? Because, you know, we are, my company is, is my team, right? Because they do the work, right? We don't have like a product, we are people, we are communicators. So investing heavily in the team has been crucial to our growth. And, you know, if you look at our Glassdoor review is like, we have an amazing company culture. Part of that is because we work in cannabis and cannabis really does bring people together and it is part of our lives here, right? So throughout the pandemic, we did a lot of team building activities virtually. We did sound meditations. We did uh, DJ nights where everybody would consume cannabis virtually, you know, in their legal state. <laughs> nice. And we get together on Zoom and listen to music together. We do it on the Zoom chat. So we really invest in that. And also, you know, once we were all vaccinated, we've done a couple company retreats where we brought most of the team together that could travel. Um, and we went up and we did a triathlon together in upstate New York this year for 420. I was able to fly out to LA for 20. Those who are listening who don't know is a big cannabis holiday. I flew out to LA and we did a big dinner. So those moments, those pockets of times where we can do in person, we're really, you know, trying to seize those moments. We've done a lot of team building activities. We also, um, throughout the pandemic, we wanted to make sure the mental health of our team was strong because it is hard, especially, you know, a lot of people are single and it was a very tough time for many. We have a a therapist full-time on staff. So investing in the people and their happiness um, and their growth is just, it's the only way that I know how to do things because my people are my business. So we invest very heavily in that. That's fantastic. And tell me about your, I don't know, greater sphere of life right now. How, now that your business has grown so fast, cannabis is seen as, you know, the growing industry that it is. How does your your family and friends perceive what you've built nowadays? It's been really interesting to see the progression of like my life and my family's life as relates to cannabis. Like I think I told you early on, when I started posting about cannabis, my husband worked in finance, he worked at a hedge fund and I'd be posting about it. And aside the fact that it was like a little like, weird that I was posting about it. He's like, you know, I have a very professional career. Maybe you shouldn't be posting about cannabis, right? Even though we're living in Seattle, it was still so new in 2014. And then when we were moving back to New York City, um, he was interviewing for jobs in 2017. He would go into interviews and say, my wife is the smartest woman alive. She has a cannabis company. So the stigma is going away. And I don't know anybody in my life at this point that isn't invested in cannabis or has a cousin who works in cannabis or whispers in my ear, I use cannabis. Like it's become so much more mainstream. And I, I think people still think I'm weird because I'm just sort of out there type of a person. But um, people really, I think, respect, you know, what I've been building. So that's been really gratifying and in a twist of fate. So, you know, my husband, who's one of my biggest, uh, you know, supporters and, you know, believes in everything that I've been doing. He said, imagine you scaled this business. Well, the business was scaling and I was traveling every two weeks and I had these four children at home and it was absolute chaos in our house. My mother was picking them up one day. My mother-in-law was coming up from Maryland. We were the last people to pick up the kids from school, from aftercare. My, you know, my nanny was burnt out. Everybody was burnt out. And in 2019, it, it was becoming just real chaos. We had these four young children who, you know, mean the world to us. So for many years, I supported my husband's career. Like I said, we moved out to Seattle. We lived in Chicago. Like I was working, but I was really supporting him in his career. In 2019, my husband decided to stay home. We decided he was going to stay home and be a stay-at-home dad so I could, you know, scale this business. So now, you know, the dynamic is very different. We're a very proud cannabis family. My husband is stay-at-home dad. He does the, the four girls' hair. He takes them to dance and he takes them to school. And I'm a full-time career woman and trying to, you know, 
build something huge for our family. So that's been a very interesting uh, twist. So what we used to whisper about, we're now proud about, and he's now a stay-at-home dad. So that's been a pretty cool part of this whole journey. And especially as a mother, and a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this who might be women, and you feel that, you know, it's a balance. You, you do feel that guilt uh, of being a working mom. And, and I do miss school plays sometimes. And I do miss recitals. But I feel very proud that as a mother of four daughters, they are watching, you know, their mother build a company in a burgeoning industry, in a new industry. And they're also seeing a model where, you know, a mother can be home and their dad can support their mom and be home doing this, the role reversal, right? Like it's still 2021, it's becoming more normal, but I feel really proud that my daughters are growing up and seeing this different dynamic that's possible to them. They can have a career and have a a partner that supports them. Yeah, absolutely. And they're seeing you as a leader and as a a role model for others too, not just themselves. Yeah, it's funny. Um, It's embarrassing. There've been a few like little uh, stories that have run about us that said, you know, that I'm like uh, the cannabis queen of PR, which I always like blush about, but my daughter, (laughs) Dahlia knows how to Google. She's 10 years old or nine years old. And she like Googles me sometimes. And she goes, mom, if you're the queen of cannabis, am I the princess of cannabis? I'm like, yes, you (laughs) definitely are. So I feel proud that they're proud. And, you know, they sacrifice just like I do because like I'm on the road a lot and the business is really important to me. But I think on the long run, they're seeing, you know, the entrepreneurship is possible for them and that there are sacrifices that we make as a family. But I think it's a good lesson for them. Absolutely. What advice would you give to someone just thinking of starting up right now in a new industry, whether whether it's cannabis, whether it's crypto or or something that, you know, is is so new? I can't think of it off the top of my head right now or haven't heard of it. I, I always say go for it. You know, you never know where this is going to bring you. Like like I said, you told me in 2014, I'd have 46 people working for me. I never would have believed it. But you know, you don't know until you try. And also a lot of people, you know, they look at this industry and they see the growth of our business or some of these other companies and they feel like it's too late, right? Like, oh, I'm too late to the game, but we are still in such early innings of cannabis. There are so much opportunity to be had, right? We can't even bank federally, right? We can't even post something on Instagram. So some of the challenges that we have in cannabis, forget about that we can't ship product over state lines. Any other company that launches, if I launch a sneaker company, I'm able to launch my sneaker, go on Instagram and boost the post. I'm going to Facebook. I can boost the post. I can buy a Google AdWord. In cannabis, you can't do that because of federal illegality. You cannot boost a post on Facebook. So like how how other companies operate or market is not available to cannabis companies. So this is a major challenge that we have. So my advice for entrepreneurs is really to jump in. Some people come into these new industries and you're hearing so much buzz about it. You're hearing buzz about cannabis. You're hearing buzz about crypto. And you think it might be too late for me to get into it. But it's still such early innings. I remember myself in 2018 going to a conference and there was a woman who had a marketing company and she was telling me all these high-end retainers she was charging, how many people were working for her, how many clients she had. I remember you know, crying to like a friend saying, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm too late. It's not going to happen. Well, she wants us to acquire her company now, right? So like you have to take a leap and just believe in what you're doing and work really, really hard. And then the world's your oyster. It's not too early. You just need to jump in. And if people think you're a little crazy, let them. If you believe and you have that passion, the fire in your belly, you're going to find a way to make it happen. So my advice is just jump in. And the biggest piece of advice is network. 
right? You need to go to as many events as possible. When I started out, I had this four month old baby and I still went and sat alone in those bars. You need to get out there. You need to build a network. Um, and that's really been the secret to my success. The success as agency is we're so well networked because we've been in this for so long and we just made it our business to be everywhere we needed to be. And, and that's really important. You just can't, you can't be a wallflower. You need to be out there. You need to network. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you hit on something that I've been speaking with a lot of female entrepreneurs about recently, which is that there's this kind of risk aversion almost when there's a growing industry or when there's a new financial tool or something, you know, women are often not the ones to to take that leap naturally. And, you know, you've seen historically um, a lot of those riskier, whether it's, you know, a, a financial instrument or a industry or a anything that's kind of new and seems untested, right? Um, those upsides, that that then come with taking that risk often go to the affluent men. I, I think we're seeing a new era of women taking those leaps. Um, how, how do you see the state of that? Yeah, you know, I, I have a few female entrepreneurs in the space that, you know, are really my trusted advisors. And we mm. talk about this a lot. And when we talk to other female entrepreneurs, we talk about this a lot. And it's this idea of this imposter syndrome, not to be too um, cliche, but sometimes we feel that like we're not enough and we can't do it or we feel nervous. And then we see men step up and they feel very very confident they can do it. But this is my message to every woman entrepreneur. We all feel this way. It's so normal. And if you can like identify then realize this is just an icky feeling and it's not rooted in reality, then you can like move forward. And the way to move forward is you have to be just the hardest worker in the room, right? Be so well networked, be so well researched that when you walk into a new industry in a new room, you are so overly prepared that like there's nobody that can stop you. And as women, sometimes we have to work a little harder because sometimes we don't have that innate confidence. But the harder you work, the more research you do, the more prepared you are, the more you, you more you can accomplish. So like, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily like an easy answer to say you have to work harder, but you have to work harder and then you will reap the rewards. And that's my advice to many women entrepreneurs to know that it's very normal to feel this way, that you're not enough, that you might not be the smartest person in the room, but doubling down on the work and surrounding yourself with other women who are in the same field as you, who can lift you up is super important. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing I wanted to ask you, what are your predictions for the next five or 10 years of the cannabis industry? Oh, wow. You know, things move so rapidly here that I've learned not to make predictions. But I, <laughs> but I will say, I, I, and this is just from experience, we're going to just continue to see the maturation of this industry for two reasons. One, there, and I'm going to quote one of our clients, Ben Covey calls this tidal wave of, of demand, uh, CEO of GTI. Like there's so many more consumers coming into the space with all this new um, legalization. So New York is coming online. You're going to see this entire cosmopolitan uh, city become a cannabis city, right? We're going to see a lot more people come into the space. So therefore, there's going to be like more opportunity for marketing services for new people to come into the space. There's a destigmatization that's coming to the space. You're seeing more and more professional executives come into the space. In five, 10 years from now, this is going to look like any other CPG company that you know. You're going to walk into a dispensary. It's going to look like your local Sephora or your local pharmacy. And that's really where the industry is going because you have all these people coming into the space, all these regulations and states that are opening up. So there's a lot of opportunity for maturation and seeing cannabis as part of like the mainstream way we live. Fantastic. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat. After speaking with Rosie, 
What really stuck with me is her continual ability to take a risk, her ability to believe in herself enough to say yes, even when that yes is going to require a lot of learning and a lot of doing. She built her entire company, which is now known as the predominant publicity and marketing firm for companies in the cannabis industry, by saying yes to adding new clients and even adding entirely new departments to her business when her customers needed more and more services. But it's also just so impressive that she, as a total outsider, spotted a burgeoning industry. And to the surprise of her family and friends, jumped right in. She's grown right along with the industry, in no small part because she doesn't hesitate to take a chance and say yes. That's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow us wherever you are listening. It'll help make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you have a friend who would love our show, please send them a link to your favorite episode. And if you have any ideas for founders you'd love to hear from on our show, drop a note to whatiknowatinc.com. You can also let me know on Twitter at Ligorio. Our producer, who wanted me to mention that he never, never mails controlled substances across state lines, is Joshua Christensen. I'm Christine Ligorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know.